Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, Jesus, your only son, and eternal spirit, speak. Your children listen. So lead me, guide me, and walk before me, and I shall follow in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Is this working? Yep, we're good. Good morning, church. Really good to be back to serve you here at God's pulpit. It's been a while, but it's been a good break as well. So I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for coming and spending Sabbath together in fellowship. To all our first-time guests that are here today, we thank you. We welcome you for choosing this place to be your place of fellowship and community. Maybe you've got questions about God or questions about faith or questions about church. And you're here today. We want to welcome you too. Or maybe you're somebody that has walked away and come back and you're trying to find something. We welcome you here in this place. We hope that you find no judgment and we hope that you find love and the peace that you're looking for. But we are so grateful that you are here. We have just journeyed through the book of James, one of the books in the Bible. James is the the brother of Jesus Christ and it's a 10-part series and I get to wrap it up here today. This is the final part. And so, really excited that um, I get to look at what James has to teach us with chapter 5 and where he lands his plane in his letter. And so, as we've journeyed through James, James has done a wonderful uh, job of painting a picture of what it looks like of the messiness of our lives in this fallen world. And what the fallen world is, is like this world full of sin. The way that we treat each other as humans, um, all the nasty and ugliness of life. That tells us that this world is fallen. And so James goes through our struggles with trials and our struggles with temptation and our struggles with faith and works and trying to get that balance right. He goes into the struggles of conflict and our struggles with partiality, the struggles of uh, wisdom. But yet, in all the helpfulness of James, the reality for all of us, we can relate to it because the struggle is real for many of us and present in our lives. But what I love about James is that as a pastor, he lands his letter in the most important perspective that you could ever carry as you struggle to live a life of faith in this fallen and sinful world. James actually invites us to enter into a new paradigm of living where it's no longer about my life shaped by the small kingdom agenda of my wants and my needs and my feelings. James shows us how God invites us to be a part of the big sky agenda of the kingdom of God. And so James is very honest about the struggle of that life, about the walk of faith and what that looks like at the street level where we all live. But in the moment of conflict, we are convinced that it's not us. That we often think that we're wiser than we are. And that we act like we're more sovereign than we'll ever be. And so today I've entitled my sermon... One word, and that is imperative. Everyone say imperative. Imperative. Now, we're going to need our Bible. So, all those that are armed and dangerous, raise your hands and let me see your Bibles, whether it's a technology or Bible. Awesome. For those of you that don't have a Bible, there's some white Bibles that I've got that are at your seats. If you are a first-time guest or don't know your way around the Bible, that's okay. I'm going to call out page numbers, and I'll be able to guide you all the way through. So, we are looking at James chapter 5, verses... 13, and that is page number 977. Page number 977. 
We're looking at James chapter 5. And we're going to begin our reading from verse 13. So you'll see two columns there. There'll be a title, The Power of Prayer. And that's where we're going to begin our reading. James chapter 5, beginning from verse 13. If you're there, you know what to do. What do you give me? Mm-hmm. Let's read. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should what? Are any of you happy? You should what? Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power or other translation avails much and produces wonderful results. 17. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Every verse contains the word prayer in it. So for me, it's exciting because James is the first biblical model of a pastor and where he finishes his letter is on prayer. And I, and I totally get that only because of my time here with the Haven Church. Because before the Haven, I didn't have the burden to, to pray for the entire membership of the church that I was at prior. But now that I've come to the Haven, there's a big burden on me that I can take the membership role, which has 232 names on it. And once a week, I spend time in prayer for every single name on that role. Sometimes I'll stop for whatever the impression is at a name. I don't even know who that person is. But I'll continue to pray through all 232 names that's on that role. I need to update it because we've had some transfers. Uh, so those that have transferred in, you're missing out on the pastoral prayer. <laughs> but I will update that. I will update really soon. So I love how James lands with prayer. Now with prayer, God invites you to seek his help in time of trouble. And when you pray, what's happening? When you pray, you recognize that the sovereignty of God, you recognize the presence of God, you recognize the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And so prayer is also spiritual warfare. How many of you, be honest now in the house of the Lord, how many of you have had great intentions to pray, but you, you forget? Spiritual warfare. How many of you have heard that somebody was going through some stuff and you tap them on the shoulder and you go, going to pray for you, buddy, and you never do? It's prayer is spiritual warfare. It, you've got to be intentional when it comes to prayer. But one of the temptations that we have when, when it comes to prayer is that when we're going through struggles is that we think, well, maybe God isn't as powerful as he is made out to be in Scripture. Maybe, just maybe God is not as sovereign. Maybe, maybe God enjoys to be distant from me. Just maybe God really doesn't care. So all of us have doubted, all of us 
have questioned God and with, because especially when he moves differently to us. But prayer invites us to embrace what God has said about himself and to believe that it's actually true and to seek his help. Now for the Christian faith, prayer is a radical, prayer is a radical act. But the big idea that I want you to take home is that prayer is imperative. I don't know. I wrestled with this. It's probably the wrong England, but um, the English teachers can tell me if that's wrong. But prayer is imperative. I want it simple that you could go home, that it's imperative for us to pray as individual, as, as couples, as singles, as families, and as a church. The, su- the success of our church is not the, how many numbers come on a Saturday. The su- success of our church is how many people will show up to a prayer meeting. That's where I would measure our success. Anybody can show up to church on a Saturday, but who is willing to give up their time midweek or another time other than Saturday to come together as a community of faith and just spend time in prayer? That's when we will align ourselves with the power of God. But think about this. Prayer is a radical act. To take your life and to take your most precious things and your most difficult things and then to put them in the hands of somebody that you cannot see, you cannot touch, you cannot feel. That's a radical act that's hard to explain. But we do it. We pray. But it's in that moment when we pray that we live out our theology. It's then that we say that life is greater than what I can measure and what I can quantify and what I can hear and what I can understand. It's when we pray that we separate ourselves from the rest of humanity and who believes that if you can't touch it and if you can't hear it and if you can't feel it, that it can't be real. And so James brings us full circle at the end of his Letter to prayer. Verses 13 to 16, it's a call for prayer in all circumstances. 17 to 18 illustrates the effectiveness of prayer. But James says some hard things. Like in chapter 1, he says, when troubles come, anyone know what he says? Count it all joy. Yeah, good one. Good one, Pastor James. And so he says some, he says some funky things too. At the end here, he asks the question, are any of you suffering hardship? Are any of you happy? And are any of you sick? And then he gives these antidotes, right? He says, if you're suffering hardship, what do we do? We pray. When you're happy, we sing praises, which is another form of prayer. And if you're sick, you call for who? You call for the elders. So let's, let's knock off the first one. Are any of you suffering hardship or trials? When you are in a season of suffering, what you need as, as believers is patience to endure the suffering. So let's just be upfront and honest. When we're suffering, sometimes we don't want to pray. Sometimes when someone comes up to us and goes, man, I heard you're dealing with some stuff. I want to pray for you. You're like, just leave me alone. I don't want your prayers right now. But some of us, we want prayer. Some of us, we're like, please, someone pray for me. You know? and, and the reason why he wants us to pray is because what we're tempted to do as human beings is what he says in verse 9 of chapter 5, is do not grumble about each other. Because that's what we do when we're in a season of suffering. 
We do verse 9. We grumble about each other. Because it's a lot easier for me to go, you know what? I can't believe she wore that to church today. It's a lot easier for us to go, you know what? How can he lead out in Sabbath school when he's divorced? It's a lot easier for us to go, how can that guy be playing up in the worship band when he was just at the Beery at Terrigal Friday night? It's a lot easier for us to grumble about each other. True? But he says, pray. Don't grumble about each other when you're suffering. But the reason why we grumble about each other is because hurt people hurt people. And as a community of faith, we have to behave differently. And so James says, when you're in a season of suffering, pray. Pray. What else do we do? He says in verse 12, we make promises. He goes, don't make promises. Where we go, God, if you would just make her love me again, I would just, I will, I will promise to do dot, dot, dot. God, if you, would just, if you would just deliver me from this, I will promise you that I will go to church every week. God, if you would just help me with my financial problems and my financial issues, I promise you I will teach Sabbath school. And we make all these grand promises. And James is like, we can't behave this way. But when you're in a season of suffering, pray. He says, pray. Now, why would he suggest that we pray? God wants us to endure suffering with the right spirit in that season. Because it is a witness to other people how real our faith is. I recently attended a funeral. My brother-in-law lost his mum, and she was one of 16. And there was nine girls and seven boys. And she was one of the youngest, and she passed away at 55. So she was young. And this was recent. And so we were there Monday and Tuesday supporting uh, my brother-in-law's family. Now, at a funeral, that's where you could truly see the faith of people. Right, really, really see their Christian faith. And so this, this funeral, you could see that the people were hurting, that they were broken, and they were mourning, and rightfully so because they lost a young lady at a young age. But in the same breath, these people found joy, they found peace, and they were celebrating this life. So what that communicated to anybody that would have been non-Christian at this funeral was what hope of what is it that these Christians have, that they could be joyful, that they could be in celebration, and the hope that they have on their face, what is it that these Christians have? You see, because whenever Christians are in a season of suffering, we don't know who's watching. And so God is trying to help us by, by saying, hey, let's pray. And here's why. Patience comes from God, and prayer is an effective way to obtain it and what do we need when we're suffering patience and so James is saying pray don't look at others don't hurt others because we're hurting but pray now he goes on to are any of you happy sing praises this was a real funny one for me I used to grab my deodorant can when everybody was out of the house and blare my music praise and worship music and pretend that I was a worship leader. I was a grown man. I had kids, right? And I was doing this. Don't, don't judge me, church. And I would sing songs like I was a worship leader. I would have dance moves to my worship songs. And, um, and I would even sing special items in my own house to myself. Um, 
Because, as you could see, my family are talented. They can sing, but God missed me when it came to handing out the singing talent. But that's okay. I'm not angry, God. Um, I'll see you in the millennium. Um, but I used to sing praises because I was, I was happy. I was joyful. And I would just pretend that I was the man, you know, singing to myself. Today, I don't do it anymore because I bought myself a drum kit. So I'm teaching myself how to play drums. And I put my headphones on and I sing and I play with my drums. So I'm no longer being Hannah Montana anymore. Um, I'm doing my drums and I'm pretty much Aka awesome when, the, when I'm playing my drums. But why does James say when you're, when you're happy? Because we don't have, as Christians, we don't have to always be in a season of suffering. We can be joyful too, right? We can have happy times too. So some of us here are happy, but sometimes we bump into Christians that are always negative, that we feel bad that we're happy. But James is like, hey, it's okay to be happy. There's a season of joy. But he goes, but when you're in that season, sing praises. Why? Because when you're in a season of joy, generally for us as Christians, we just put our, this is awesome. I'm just going to enjoy this. This season is so cool, man. And then all of a sudden, life takes a turn for the worse, and we find ourselves in the valley. And now we're broken. And so what James is saying is that when you are in a season of joy and you are on top of the mountain, it is far more important for you to sing praises and pray in this season. It's important for you when you're happy and life is going good to sing praises so that you could turn your mind's attention and your heart's affection towards the source of that season, which is God. And why is it more important? Because your time in prayer on top of the mountain is what's going to sustain you in your time in the valley. Did you catch that, church? Your time in prayer and praises when you are on top of the mountain is what's going to sustain you when you find yourself in the valley. And so James says, hey, when you're happy, sing praises. Let's pray. So, because when we're up on the top of the mountain, it's very easy for us to forget. Very easy for us to forget who the source is. Then he asks the third question, are any of you sick? Now, what I noticed in this text for the first time, it says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. I noticed something for the first time. I've never seen it before, but it gave me so much peace. Whose responsibility is it to call for the elders? The one that's sick. Right? And sick has dual meaning. It can be physically sick. Or it can be spiritually sick, that you're on spiritual bankruptcy. And so you call for the elders to come and pray over you to try and lift your spirits, right? But it's your responsibility. And I don't know how many times I've gone to church and you have those people that always, you know, they always pray for that group of people over there. They never pray for me. You know, I'm dealing with some tough times too. And they never come and pray for me. They always go and pray for those guys. Have you ever heard that before? Whose responsibility is it to call for the elders? You. If you are dealing with stuff, if you are physically sick, if you are spiritually draining, you are responsible to call for the elders. Now, I need to be honest with you. We don't have any elders. I came in and we didn't have any elders. I'm trying to put together a team of elders church. But I'm going to call these elders. 
gospel leaders. And the reason why I'm going to call them gospel leaders is because they need to be grounded and founded in the gospel. That their duty as elders is to first do no harm. Regardless of what anyone has done, we do not judge that person. We just love that person in that space. And they have to be leaders of the gospel. That's what they're going to do. And these guys are going to be game changers. Guys or women, whoever we pick. But I'm working on it. God is taking his time in this area. We will have our elders and they will be passionate spirituality giants for our church. But let's look at the anointing of oil. I want you to understand that the anointing is secondary to prayer. It's not, the, it's not the anointing that brings the healing. It's the prayer of faith that brings the healing. But there's only one other reference to anointing of oil. And that's found in the gospel of Mark chapter 6 verses 13. Where they were casting out a whole heap of demons. And they were healing the sick by the many. And then anointing them with oil. So olive oil does have its medicinal properties. But it's secondary to the prayer of faith. So I don't want you to understand and think. Oh, it's only the elders that pray for the healing? In verse 16, James says that the group, the church as a larger group, is to pray for healing. But what do we do with verse 15? There's some definite statements here. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal. The sick and the Lord will make you well. Or in other translation... Raise you up. What do we do with this verse? Because some of us have prayed for some stuff. And it never happened. We prayed for healing of a loved one. And that loved one passed on. We prayed for children. And we didn't get it. We prayed for you know, our spirituality. And we didn't get it. We prayed for our kids. And they still left the church. So how do we understand this verse that gives us that definite statement that such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. I'll do my best to explain it. The word for heal in this, in, in this verse is this Greek word called sozo and it has dual meaning. And it means to make well or to save. And what that means is that it either spiritual salvation or physical healing. Now, the word down where it says, will make you well, that's a different Greek verb. And that also has dual meaning. And it's one that we don't like. And that dual meaning is this, that God can choose to heal in the present or God will choose to heal in the future. when Jesus comes back in the second coming. And the reason why it's tough for us to live in this tension is because when we pray for our loved ones, where do we want God to move? We want him to move now. But sometimes God chooses not to move in the present. But we have that hope as Christians that there's coming a time when our Savior will break those skies and the skies will roll back like a cloud and he will come through with his angels and the second coming will happen and that restoration will happen then. But it's tough for us. And the encouragement is for us to pray so that we can recognize the sovereignty of God and the presence of God. And the love and the mercy and the grace of God. But I want you to take this with you. That prayer not only aligns our will to God's will. But it surrenders our will to God. And with our will surrendered. That means that we can know that if God chooses not to move the way that we wanted him to move. That we can rest assured that God knows best. 
And that if God chooses to then restore in the future, that we can understand that he knows what he is doing. And so prayer brings us into that atmosphere where we not only align our will to God, but we surrender our will to God. Now, what about the connection between sin and sickness? You know, I grew up in a church where, you know, my, my family's here, where if you were sick, it was like, I wonder what sin that guy did. You know? And then some other guy gets his leg amputated and was like, mm-hmm, that guy was, must have been a big sinner. And so this text comes in and says there's got to be a connection with sickness and sin. So how do we explain that? First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks to the Corinthians church and Paul says, many of you are sick because of your sin. So that means that some of us with our constant sinning and our constant disobedience can fall ill because God chooses to. But in the gospel of John chapter 9, the rabbi, there's this guy that was born blind and the rabbi comes up to Jesus and goes, hey, so whose sin was this kid charged with that he was born blind? Was it his parents' sin or his sin? And Jesus responded, neither his parents, neither his. Meaning it was just a result of sin. So can we fall sick because of our sinning? Yes. But not every case that we fall sick is to do with our sin. What about 16? Confess your sins to each other. What do we say? Yeah, right. Who wants to do this? Hands up if you can confess your sins to each other. In fact, turn to the person next to no, you. <laughs> this is not easy to confess your sins to each other. But let me just give a word of warning. You don't have to give the details. Right? You can say, I'm just struggling in my marriage. You don't have to give the graphic details. But this is very hard to do for us because in the Western world, right, when, we, when we actually find the courage to be vulnerable, we get the kicked out of us and so it's very hard for us to do this but as your pastor I see a day that's coming where we will be able to do this where we'll be able to create an atmosphere that's safe for us to do just this so that we can be an authentic community of faith and here's how I see it I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up your walk with God is a community project we have to reject the prioritized Jesus and me religion of the western culture where we prize our individualism, where we prize our privacy. The faith journey is personal, but it's not private. God himself is in Trinity. He's three in one. God is not private. You were not hardwired to do this by yourself. This is a community of faith, and God incarnates his love in resources that he has given us. We're not meant to attempt to do this by ourselves. God has qualified and set apart a leadership for his church, which is elders. Right? It's elders. We have to get them quick. And those leaders are commissioned with providing pastoral care for the body of Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. That God has established a way for there to be a physical, visible care for you. I think that James is pointing to this kind of community. Intensely intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community where I invited you to intrude in on my life and I'm afraid of that privacy but I'm afraid of the way that I am so good at deceiving me and I want you to be a part of my life and I know that I need your prayer so I ask you today are you living that lifestyle or is there humility of approachability in your life 
Because the faith journey is personal, not private. To wrap up, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet we prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Some of us read this and we go, I'm no Elijah. There's no way God would actually do anything great through me. But I just want to speak into that. Let's have a look at the character of the man. There were moments when Elijah demonstrated great courage. There were moments when he panicked and ran for his life. There are moments when it seemed like Elijah believed that God could do absolutely anything. And there were other moments where Elijah is in a suicidal depression, telling God if you really loved him, he would take his life. You see, this verse is talking about the power in Elijah's life is not Elijah, but the power is God. And that power that Elijah experienced is the power of God that's available to every single one of us in this room. My appeal to you is this. I really want to build an authentic community of faith. When we get into our struggles, that's when God really needs us to pull together and pray together and support one another. The community of faith is to do life with one another. It's not to be privatized and to fight on your own. And as my family makes their way up, my appeal song to you is this. The words of their songs is this. You don't have to worry. And don't you be afraid. Joy. Joy comes in the morning. Troubles, they don't last always. For there's a friend in Jesus who will wipe your tears away. And if your heart is broken, just lift your hands and say, I know that I can make it and I know that I can stand. No matter what may come my way, and this is the prayer that I want you to say, my life is in his hands. Jesus, I love that he's not removed from our suffering because he too suffered. What I love, not that it was a good thing, but what I love about one of the stories of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he actually took people that were in his inner circle to pray for him. And what did they do? They fell asleep because prayer is spiritual warfare. And Jesus, in his time of suffering, he was asking God if he could just be removed from me. And so for some of us, when we're in that season of trials, it's okay for us to pray that prayer too. But Jesus... He made it. He overcome the world. And because he has victory, we have victory. And because his victory has given us hope in what the book of Titus calls the blessed hope. But I don't want to finish down here, church. Because we have hope in Jesus. So I've asked the band to play a song so that we're not down here.
But before I do, are any of you suffering hardship? Are any of you happy? Are any of you sick? I don't know what your journey is. But before I pray and we sing our final song, I ask that we all take each other, your neighbors, grab their hands. Let no one go untouched. Don't be shy. We're safe here. I've done all criminal record checks. No jokes. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, it's not easy to just commit our lives into your hands. Because some of us are in the season of suffering. And it hurts. We can't understand how this mighty God can allow us to go through some of the stuff that we go through. And so for those that are here today, Lord, that are in that season, may they find the courage to pray so that they can find and draw the patience that they need to endure their season of trials from the source of patience, which is you. Comfort them. Lord, some of us here that we're happy. We're in a season of joy. And that's good too. May they not feel guilty that they are in that season of happiness. But may your Holy Spirit remind them that while they are on top of that mountain to sing praises and to pray to you so that they can be sustained for when their time is in the valley. Are any of us sick? The call from Pastor James, Lord, is that the one that is sick should call for the elders of our church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. Encourage them, Lord, to step forward. You already know who the elders of our church should be, Father. So convict them in their hearts. Lead them with your Holy Spirit so that we can put a a team of gospel leaders to lift and monitor the spirituality of our wonderful church here. Send these people home with your richness of your blessings. Cover them and, and fill them up for the week ahead. And Lord, as we sing this final song, we don't want to end low. Mm, no. We're going to dance our way out of here. We're dancing because we have the hope that your son, Jesus Christ, has provided for us. So God bless our church, Father, and God bless the child that's poking my belly button. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.